Welcome to At The Movies. Sit back, crack a beer, and enjoy. You can't get an address without an address. You can't get a job without a job. It's all fixed. That's why I'm going to Alaska. Here they need people. Welcome to At The Brewies, where we talk about movies and drink beer, and also talk about the beer. Uh, my name is Rob. I work in the film industry. My name's Ben. I don't work in the film industry. I'm a civil engineer, but I really like movies and talking about them. And I also really like beer. My name's Tom. Uh, people call me Bowser. I also do not work in the film industry. I'm a lawyer, but I enjoy movies too. I'm Andrew. I also don't work in film. I don't enjoy movies, but I did read the Wikipedia page for the movie this week. Last episode, we did um, North by Northwest. And one of the things we, we talked about was that that title was one of many working titles. So we asked some listeners for some ideas, additional retitling ideas for the movie. So we got, we got a couple in. Um, so I'll read them to you guys, and you guys tell me what you think. From uh, an Eric R., and he gave the Kaplan affair. Mm, okay. Yeah, like the SAT test. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's mostly about people prepping people for college exams, yeah. but they're also sleeping with people who aren't their spouses. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Which is pretty much the movie. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, the next one we got is uh, from Craig T., and that was The Art of Survival. Mm. Feels like a Boy Scout handbook. Too much. Too much, but I appreciate the uh, the thought, and yeah. it does it does speak to the movie. What it's lacking, I think, is the sort of like, well, so is North by Northwest. Never mind, like the like the fun part of the movie, you know? Yeah, Art of Survival is also something that's uh, mentioned in the movie as well. So it's it's lifted from the script, which is kind of part is, is a is clever. Oh, I wish I could remember which part of the movie that would be in yeah i don't remember it's got to be when he's talking to when he's got to hide in when in he's the, talking the to her back side of mount rushmore and his fart gives him away the backside. yeah not many people know that the other side of mount rushmore is their butts perfectly sculpted <laughs> they're wearing like old-timey pajamas with the buttons in the back <laughs> is it, even, oh no there he is even Roosevelt. oh yeah that's washington right there Anyway, those those were pretty good. I, I kind of I like those. This episode, we're going to do a movie called Wendy and Lucy, uh, which is a little bit of a departure from the movies we've talked about before. It certainly has its own place in cinema, but it's much, much smaller, for sure, and is decidedly in the, the indie world. So this will be fun, I think. It came out in 2008, starring Michelle Williams and Lucy the Dog, directed by Kelly Reichardt who also co-wrote it with John Raymond. And it's based on a short story called Train Choir uh, by John Raymond as well. So actually, the director brought the movie to my film class in, it was either fall 2008 or spring 2007. She's actually um, a film teacher herself. So she talked a lot about it and, and knew how to, to talk to students about it, which was really fun. So, like I said, it's 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 much smaller than anything else we've done, and um, super indie. The budget was only three hundred thousand dollars, which you can sometimes tell and sometimes can't. Many of the auxiliary act, uh, characters were were non actors. If they're in a movie, doesn't that make them an actor? They're not professional actors. They're not like trained. Okay. 
Yeah. But yes, at that point, they would become actors, right? Yeah. Unless they're filming a documentary. Right. Yeah. The beginning, when she's talking to the people by the, the train yard. That part's crazy. Those people are nasty. Yeah. I think she literally <laughs> just, like, found them. Like, she stumbled on them. Punts. Found a bunch of, like, weird hobo crust punk people. Yeah. And, uh, and punk. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And the dog is the director's dog, right? Lucy the dog is Reichardt's dog, Lucy, uh, who's been in a couple of her, couple other of her movies. Um, that probably helped when like she was calling for Lucy. Yeah, the the dog had to do no, very little acting, I think, mm. because of that. It wasn't the actor's dog; it was the director's dog, though. <laughs> right, but she would respond to that name. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> It was the first narrative feature released by Oscilloscope, um, who's done, they've done a lot more since then, but it was kind of a, a big Are we not going to talk about who founded Oscilloscope Laboratories? We're, I, that's what I'm, that's what I'm starting Hurry. to talk about. Can we get a clue? Can we, can we, can we do the synopsis and talk about the beer before we talk about the movie? You Joe, ready for this? real short. All right. It's real sad. Yes. Starts out at a train yard, but that, we'll get to that later. Anyway, we see a woman. She's walking her dog. Then she meets these dirty people who I'm, I'm calling them dirty. You Crust we'll dogs. let the audience decide because she loses her dog for a second. But she finds it with this group of people. And then uh, they talk about a town because she mentions she is going to Alaska, clearly to find work. She's down on her luck. Anyway, she talks to these dirty people, finds her dog, keeps going. Ends up in a town where clearly she's strapped for cash. She ends up uh, sleeping in her car uh, in a Walgreens parking lot, meets the parking cop at that lot, which she becomes friends with. Anyway, her car breaks down. She can't drive. Uh, and she's strapped for cash, so she goes to a grocery store and ends up getting caught for shoplifting food because she's starving and doesn't have any money. And uh, then she goes to jail, but she had tied up her dog outside the grocery store, so the dog was left there. The dog is named Lucy. Woman's name is Wendy. Anyway, after she comes out of jail, after several hours, she sees that her dog is gone. And that happens about a third of the way through the movie. And it's heartbreaking. It's terrifying because she doesn't know where her dog is. She goes to the pound. They haven't seen her, but they're very helpful at the pound. Anyway, she stays friends with the parking lot cop who gives the phone number and lets people call it. She ends up meeting a mechanic. Then uh, she's pretty much has nothing. And they've also then towed her car at this point from right outside the lot. And now she has nothing. She has a blanket and a pillow. And she's sleeping in the woods near the train yard. There's a really creepy scene with this crazy dude. Anyway, we'll talk about that later. Then she goes back to the Walgreens where the parking cop is who has gotten a call from the pound and they find that a foster home has picked up the dog and she's like ecstatic because she's been freaking out this whole time about where her dog is anyway she goes to this house where the dog is but she waits for the guy who lives there to leave and then she goes into the yard while the guy's gone and it's just her and the dog and then she ends up saying you know what my life is so shitty essentially my life is so shitty and i can't take care of you I need to let you go. And she leaves the dog. It's super sad. And then she hops a train and leaves and continues on her way, assumingly, up to Alaska. And that is pretty much the entire movie. Yeah. Just to correct one thing, the car didn't get towed. The mechanic moved it to the garage, and they found out that it was actually basically worthless and, and, and it was would cost more to repair. Yeah, she paid tow. to tow it. She paid 50 bucks to tow it, I think. She paid to tow it. 
And the mechanic is the dad from Remember the Titans. Yeah. Will Patton. <laughs> He's also in Armageddon. Oh, That's right. so he is a professional actor. <laughs> And yeah. I've got some questions about him, but we'll talk about that later. But that's pretty yeah. much the yeah. movie. Woman loses her dog. She's down on her luck the whole time and um, eventually has to leave her dog behind for the betterment of the dog. Yeah. Yeah. And there are only like a few like real characters that mm-hmm. have any fleshy out of the movie. It's basically her, maybe the grocery store clerk could be considered. Ooh, the character, what a dick. The mechanic, the security guard. And, yeah, security uh, guard's better uh, better term. And, What's his uh, name in the movie? We don't get no it, I don't think. So the Wikipedia page was so sparse that I actually mm-hmm. went back and read the short story that the movie's based on. And in the short story, the parking lot attendant's name is Jack. Mm. Jack. Jack. So no, I, on the IMDb page, he's just uh, parking lot cop, security guard. Security security guard. Also, yeah. Wendy's yeah. name is Verna in the story, so I'll be referring to her as Verna the whole time. But Lucy is still Lucy. Lucy is still Verna. It's just so it's not called Wendy and Lucy. It's called Train Choir. The well, train, train Choir. Like we right. talked about before. It's not which which the movie did a very good job of giving an homage to. There were several yeah. choirs of trains throughout yeah. the movie. So do we want to introduce, introduce our beers? Yeah, before we uh, jump into cool. some more. Let's go. Talking. We've got a beer. I, mine's I, lame. I'm going to start. I'm going to start. Start, mine's lame. lame. <laughs> you lame We're in quarantine still, by the way. For those of you listening, yeah, can't tell. Um, still in social distancing. So I went to the nearest beer store and got what I could. I was pretty limited, and I got a dog fish head. Mm. It's got the word dog in it. This movie has a dog in it. That's it. Next person. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> Which dog? Which fish dog head fish head? This one I did have some logic. I got the sixty minute. I should have gotten the ninety minutes. Should have got the ninety. Yeah, because the movie, <laughs> the movie's about it's about an hour fifteen. So it's, it's it's kind of hit or miss. You know, you go sixty, you go ninety. But With I prefer the, the taste of the sixty. That that's really the worst part. Is I know this beer, and it's better to have a new beer for these. But quarantine times is tough. I have a beer that I've never had before. Oh, yeah? uh, it's from Abita Brewing Company oh. called Turbo Dog. Oh, it's a like dog that Nice. You tried it? I've had it before. Yeah, it's real dark, right? No. It's a brown ale. Yeah. And the dog brown. looks like the dog in the movie. Do you like it? Yeah. So I'm gonna pry it open and try it right now. It's not bad. Yeah, it's real brown. <laughs> it's, I think not it's bad. a. I was expecting something worse after Andrew. That's one of the <laughs> beers that I like. Bought. I like bought it in college, thinking like, oh, I'm gonna buy a fancy beer now. I'm not drinking any light anymore, and I bought uh, a six pack of Turbo Dog, and I'm like. Eh. It has a dark caramelly flavor. Mm-hmm. Like if you're used to drinking light beers, obviously this would not be the beer for you. It has a very. It's described in the back as caramel and chocolate malts and okay. Williamette hops. So, it definitely has that dark, not st- not quite as dark as as like malty as a stout, but uh, almost there. It's definitely it would make a, dark a good brown stew. Ale. Yeah, you could throw it into a stew, or you could drink it. Cause it's <laughs> <not bad. laughs> Right. What do you got? I got a a flying dog. It's about as Why? creative as as Ben. It's unfortunate because the movie takes place in Wilsonville, Oregon, which is right outside Portland. And because it is right outside Portland, there are like there's so many breweries in that town and around it, but none of them are available <laughs> in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, because they're all I pretty went local. Through, I went through the entire store. They have nothing from 
even the Pacific Northwest. Oh, wow. Anywhere. They have to shoot. They didn't today. Oh. Mm. Um, I picked a flying dog actually i got a growler from uh barcade thanks for the link andrew oh, um, oh yeah nice it was really fun so i got one of theirs that i haven't had before it's called hidden pickle it's a it's a ghost it's a leipzig ghost it's pretty oh, good oh. yeah take like a pretty mild ghost and then add a mild pickle flavor to it and that's what it is does it taste so I, I i really like flying dog beers but they always seem they all seem to use the same yeast or something mm. and they all have this like i could taste any flying dog beer and be like oh that's a flying dog wait, wait um, what's wrong with using the same yeast i don't know nothing at all but they they all have like one specific note that i can't describe that i can be like oh that's flying dog every time mm. yeah I, I, yeah i think you're right i don't know what it is yeah it's pretty good though nice um but i picked the hidden pickle because Wendy's kind of in a pickle in the whole movie. Oh, oh for sure. So many levels. At the beginning, <laughs> the middle, and the end. Yeah. She's constantly in a pickle. Just yeah. pickled. <laughs> so I got a, uh, a beer from New England, from Woburn, Massachusetts. Woburn. It's called Boom Sauce. Which, oh. is not a, which is not a good name for anything. I've had it before. I've had it before, too, but I, I like the, uh, the connection to the movie. And it's brewed by a Lord Hobo Brewing. Lord Hobo? Exactly. So they're like hobo people on the trains. So, boom sauce. (laughs) Yeah. uh, It is a a double IPA. It is 7.8%. And I have two of them. So we'll see. You like to keep it nice high percentage during this this quarantine time. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what else am I going to do? Well, Andrew, what what do you think of your beer? Um... I like it. Did you pour that sucker into a glass? Yeah, I always do. I pour. I did the nice wine glass. Is it good? Is it lip smacking good? I don't want to do it into the microphone. I don't want to upset any listeners, but oh. it's very, very good. Great. So these all sound like pretty good, uh, pretty good choices. I guess we'll we'll do a, a check in later to see how we're enjoying them down the line. Yeah. So this movie was the first narrative release for oscilloscope. And they had done mostly documentaries before that. An oscilloscope was co-founded by Adam Yach, which was really interesting. But uh, yeah, for them, it was a big bet because they didn't know how you know going into narrative was going to do for them. Um, and it, it worked out really well. It, the movie had a really great critical success, and so they were able to, to um, build off of it. So it was kind of a the second big movie for Kelly Reichart and then the first narrative for oscilloscope. So it, it worked out well for the both of them. What else have they done since then? Was awesome I fucking shot that one of their first movies? It might have been. It was the Beastie Boys documentary where they, they handed out Super 8 cameras to everyone, that, to like 64 people that came into the concert. Or not so much to check that number, but... And then they just used that footage to make, to make a concert video. It's a great oh. concert video. Oh, You've probably yeah, seen yeah, it. Yeah. Like, yes, yes. You in the middle, like, a guy goes to the bathroom with the camera and he's right, filming right, right, right. instead of mm-hmm. filming the concert and they splice right. it all together. That was them, and then it was all named after their. They built a studio, and the studio was Oscilloscope Laboratories. Yeah, for the Beastie Boys. And then when they um, when they started this production company, they named it after that. So Oscilloscope has done a bunch of other movies. They did uh, Dear Zachary, uh, a really good documentary. They did uh, Wuthering Heights. They also did We Need to Talk About Kevin Mm. uh, with uh, Tilda Swinton and uh, John C. Riley. They're all small movies for sure, but their tone is kind of all over the place. 
they did um bellflower too which is a really interesting movie that maybe we should talk about one episode bellflower is like this movie where these guys built their own camera and built their own lenses and shot with in their garage it's pretty cool so they do more it's like, it these. sounds interesting but i don't want to watch it <laughs> like yeah that's cool but, but like, would you read the wikipedia page about it yeah it's supposed no. to be really good <laughs> i'm reading it right now it doesn't sound that interesting <laughs> i heard it's a bit pretentious actually yeah exactly but. that's what i said <laughs> no i have heard oh. of it i have heard of it this is the second time i've seen it uh, for the podcast I, the first time i saw it was in my class with the director oh. but <laughs> what what was that supposed to mean oh you saw it with the director nice i love when people talk through their teeth it's really fun <laughs> Um, but I, I really liked sort of the, the feeling it's like this very personal world and it's really just kind of Wendy's world and it, the movie does a really good job of just limiting everything to, to her experience. And I was really struck by that and it does it in a really, really, um, powerful way. They weren't explicit about a lot of stuff. You know, Wendy never explicitly like told anybody, oh, this is my financial system, blah, 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 blah this is where I'm going, this is what I'm doing. We just kind of learn it elsewhere, despite not having all this explicit um, exposition and her not saying or giving too much away. We feel like after watching the movie, we know a lot about what she's doing and where she's going and who she is. And just a little beautiful little slice of, of her life. Right. Yeah. You definitely get that feeling where you're, you kind of want to know what happened before. You want to know how she does after, what happens to the dog, all these things. Um, my first impression was was very similar. Um, it's a very emotional movie. It's it's really well told and really well shot. And I I agree that uh, I I like the moments when they don't show you stuff. One part that struck out to me was when she's filling the the dog food bowl and. It's the you see the shots on the back of the car, and you just hear kind of putting food in. There's several shots like that throughout mm-hmm. the movie, um, and so my first impression was that they conveyed that emotion um, of Michelle Williams' character Wendy very well throughout throughout the whole thing, and it it was well told. It's only 80 minutes long. It's relatively short. I think it feels longer than it is. It's pretty slow. You see a lot of just her do, going about doing things like brushing her teeth and, and washing up in the bathroom of the gas station, just, I guess, to give you an idea of what's going on with her. I, I wouldn't yeah, they, consider it a sad movie, necessarily. You feel, like, anxious, I feel like, watching it, because she has a absolutely. lot of insecurity. The sound throughout the movie, trains or cars constantly in the background. Would you it's say not it's, pleasant. It's, it's like a, a choir of trains? <laughs> yes, it is like a quiet. I mean, that's what the sound is. She hums this tune throughout the movie, and it actually plays in the grocery store too. I noticed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little bit eerie. I don't yeah, know it doesn't like resolve. It. And yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. So it, it plays into that feeling of, I think, anxiety and... Anxiety, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, throughout. Mm-hmm. Every, almost every scene has some level of anxiety about her situation. Insecurity. It's really, it's really interesting, yeah. all of yours, 
your different opinions about this movie? Because I didn't watch it at all. I just I actually read the short story, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. defined a lot of the things that you're talking about, without them even being in the movie. To hear the things that you guys were like not explicitly said, like were explicitly said in the story. Yeah, that's good filmmaking, I guess. But there was a lot more meat in the movie. It sounds like because the story was not interesting and like just kind of sounded like despair, mm-hmm. which is the point yeah. of the movie, but. Yeah. Well, there's but there was like not a lot of story or feeling either in the story. I didn't think. The, I I would say to to Bowser's point before about it being a short movie and feeling long, you do get that feeling sometimes like what's going on? This feels like it's taking a long time. But then supplemented by some I would say emotional parts that that are brought up mm-hmm. throughout that kind of ebb and flow, but but I think Anxiety is really the word that that would be most apt, most appropriate, rather for 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 the entire story, hmm. because that that just builds, especially once she loses the dog, and then just remains throughout the entire movie. There's a, a level of anxiety. It builds tension and and sustains tension in a different, like a different kind of tension than say like North by Northwest, where <laughs> that tension is is yeah. driven by. Um, you know, the very clear conflict, but this is all emotional tension. It's very different, but equally well-built, I think. Yes. And but, is it, but is it interesting? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, is it interesting uh, because it's tension, or is it interesting because of the story? It's I, interesting because she feels like an actual person. Yes. Okay. Going, going through the situation. I think that was my issue with the story when I read it was like, this is not interesting because it's like, there wasn't anything remarkable about it. And you could make a case for that with the movie as well. Yeah, Um, it's not it's not some crazy movie where something if we're going to compare it to North by Northwest, which isn't the worst thing to do, I guess. Because North by Northwest is like a movie, movie. It's there's yeah, big, it's, it's exciting things going on. They're literally on the side of Mount Rushmore. In that way, it might not be interesting, but it is interesting because I think it is told through a very real lens. That yeah. All of the characters feel very real, and the interactions feel very real, as uncomfortable and, and as as but anxious as they feel. My, my, I mean, this is going to sound really callous, but like. Why is that story interesting? Like, why not just have a movie of me going to work every day? Right. No, well, and, and I would say that someone would have to be very creative in telling the story of you going to work to make it as interesting as this story. Because the, the story other... isn't you going to work. The story is what's going on with you internally. Emotionally. Emotionally. Yeah. With the, To do with the sound and the background and everything it makes you feel that way. It makes you feel like she's feeling during mm-hmm. by watching the movie. Yeah, I think it I makes you I... feel a little bit more insecure, anxious. I'm not saying like it, it's like a fun watch or it's like, hmm. but if a movie makes you feel a certain way, I think that says something about it, right? Yeah. If you just watch a movie that you're going to work, I think it wouldn't make you feel like anything. It would just exactly. And yeah. and this movie makes you sit in some of those moments, which is a really interesting way a movie can like force your brain almost to like sit there while something's happening and because when we're when we watch movies you're usually just thrown all the information we need whereas this one kind of sits there and you kind of have to think about it and relate it to whatever you're thinking i guess but it yeah it's it's good i i, I think yeah i think it was good. yeah i mean i think 
connection to a story isn't driven by plot, the things that happen. It's driven by empathy to the character. And I think that this movie does that perfectly. I mean, it puts you right in with Wendy and you really feel her situation because it, it spends a lot of time, you know, if we want to kind of bring these into specific things I liked and disliked, but it it spent a lot of time on like the really quiet moments. It didn't spend time with her trying to fix her car. It spent time with her brushing her teeth in the gas station. Her figuring out all, you know, how to do all that stuff and, and keep herself moving is what characterizes her and what gives us empathy to her character um, and sort of gives that some of that stuff that say, like Andrew was saying was explicit in the story. That's where we get a lot of that sense of who she is and what she's doing. Right. By like mm-hmm. focusing on these little things. Right. There's not a lot of straightforward plotting. There's very little like events that happen, um, but they're all tied with these other quieter moments. Like I was saying in those moments, I loved how, the shots themselves really took their time and were like really long and just sort of focused on, on stuff and kind of let things um, happen or it helps make them feel like they're actually part of that environment. Right. I mean, and it happens pretty early on. So the train part at the beginning, it's, it's kind of a a weird way to set the tone of the movie. Uh, And then you just see a woman walking with her dog through the woods and it's actually kind of nice, but kind of chill real long shot but then once she kind of loses lucy for a second and then meets the what did we call them the crusty crusty punk uh crust punk crust punk once we meet the crust punk that scene not (laughs) only sort of the way that they might be living their life or living in that certain moment but also the way it was shot you go from this one long shot of her with her dog in the woods and even when she loses lucy she's not that worried at that moment but once she gets by that fire with the crust punk people the shots become kind of quick and not quite in focus all the time and and that anxiety is like brought up a lot even Mm -hmm. though she keeps relatively calm and is just kind of talking to them and even tries to ask about some information about her you know, voyage up to uh, Alaska, and she doesn't seem like super overly protective of her dog. Like, hey, you you crazy, dirty people, get your crust punk away from my dog. <laughs> but the way that scene is shot, really stuck with that. Also, <laughs> uh, was, well, I think was very. I, I anxious. think that I think that's just her character throughout the entire movie, in that she's passive. She's mm-hmm. non-assertive. She doesn't assert herself, and, and and like she doesn't stand up to people really. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in that scene, like she was clearly uncomfortable with that them touching the dog and holding oh, the dog. Sure. But she didn't say anything, and as yep. soon as she got the chance, she called the dog over to her and got out of there. Yeah, but mm-hmm. um, I think that just was sort of like a little character characterization, and then you see it later. You know, when she's she doesn't like argue or fight with people really at all. Yeah, no. Right? She's I, mean, I would say in in a lot of ways she's a little, not maybe muted isn't right the right word, but um, and subdued. I can't think of the right word, but but brought back even passive. when at the end passive. Yeah, even when she sees her dog after the entire movie, her freaking out about losing her dog, she doesn't run to the dog and say, "Oh my God, I found you." She's like 
real. And she doesn't go to the guy that has her dog and say, yeah. that's my dog, you know? Yeah. Which may, which also makes me think that she has already decided she's not taking her dog back. She knows yeah. that wherever her dog is is going to be better than the life she's seen for herself moving forward. But she might go up to him and say, like, you know, that's my dog, but I, I can't, you know... Exactly. Take care so of she, until I come back. So the whatever. right. So the passivity is. I don't want to confront this guy to even have that back. level of conversation. Yep. She's kind of at the whim of all these people she meets throughout the whole movie, right? You know, some are more empathetic than others, and you get the sense that she's sort of interacted with a lot of different people. Probably most of those interactions didn't go well, like in the grocery store with the kid that wants to make her an example. I think you get the sense that like a lot of people have kind of either burned her or operated on their own interest and kind of as a result, yeah, she, push her aside. She gives those cans to that guy without any real argument. Oh yeah. Yeah. When right. he's going to basically, he's like applying, you know, he might steal them from her or whatever, but she just gives them over. And then, even Interesting. the security guard, who turns out to be a good guy in the beginning. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. No, no, it's fine. Just that in the story, like the cans were a big thing. And she's like, she has no money. Like, she's worried. And she's like, well, I, I, I could collect cans, but there's so many other people out here collecting cans and she can't find any. But then in like another moment of despair that I don't need to hear about, she finds one can <laughs> and she leaves it there. Oh. She's like, that's not going to solve any problems. And then moves on. And that's the whole that- point. And that was kind of the feeling when she gives up the cans in the movies was like she almost didn't even think it was going to be anything to begin with. But I but would that be like enough to buy the, the dog food? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Never. But I agree with the perception no. that she, she had a bag full. Of she cans. wouldn't have she wouldn't have left that line if that guy hadn't said anything. If she didn't yeah. have that interaction, she she would have just stood there. But as soon as that interaction happened. You, you kind of think, oh, no, she's uh, going to have to talk to this person or interact with this thing that she doesn't want to talk to. And yeah. and so she bails. Yeah, in the story, she only, yeah. had one, she only had one can. No, no, no. This was a this was a, I mean, it was a, gar- it was a you like know, a grocery bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, plastic bag. So yeah. anyway, but what, my, what I was saying was that she, even with the security guard in the beginning, who, you know, we find out you know, is helping her out, he's a nice guy, but... He's like, look, you got to move, right? He's telling her she's got to move. And she doesn't really argue with him. She's like, okay, got it, you know. And she moves her car out. She doesn't say, like, you know, look, I'm, I'm having a hard time. Like, she doesn't stand up at all. Even, obviously, he's a nice guy later. But he doesn't seem like a nice guy right there. Really? He's telling her she's got to get out. How I saw I don't him in that so. scene, because well, of the in way In the story, he... he helps her push the car out of the parking lot. Well, yeah, he does that. Oh, yeah, he helps to... her push. I mean, that, that is There's nobody else in the parking lot. Yes, but he, I, I got I got the vibe from him early on that this guy he's got a boss and a boss and a boss and a boss and he's got to do his job, so he has no say. He can't compromise something, and he knows he can't allow someone to do something outside of the rules that he's been given. Yeah. So he's I, willing to help her get the car out to the street. Now, why she didn't park in the street to begin with, I don't know. But um, but I, that's everybody in the movie, in my opinion. That is, everybody's doing what? a job in the movie. He's yeah, just doing their yeah. job. Right. Even the, I mean, the train people? people. One of the, the, the I, Well, the train people don't have. They don't have jobs. I don't know about <laughs> that guy in the woods. I don't know about that guy in the woods. He's, I don't yeah. think he's doing his job. 
<laughs> Who's the guy in the woods? But, I mean, the grocery store. store guy says it's store policy. He does yeah, go a little bit too far, probably. He, he probably could let him yeah. go. And the, the you could tell the, the manager, like, manager didn't care. Well, I don't know. I got manager the sense that, like, I really don't want to deal with this. Like, it's really yeah. not a big deal. But this asshole punk kid is bringing this up, so now i got to do something. I'd rather just let it go. He, and I mean, he has, yeah, he has his own sense of passivity where he's like, I don't care enough to, like, tell off my employee, mm-hmm. but I still don't want to deal with this. So I'm right. just going to, what are the path of least resistance for him is just to, like. Right, because he's got to deal with the employee yeah. after that is probably what he's thinking. But yeah. if, as far as any time she does switch herself up from that passivity would be the scene where she's back looking for her dog after she leaves jail and uh-huh. the little punk kid, we're going to call him the punk kid, but uh, <laughs> the store clerk or whoever he is, the stock boy uh, is leaving for work and she starts yelling at him. Yeah, have a great night, okay? You know, your son's a real hero. Lucy! Now! It's about the height of her emotion against another human. She has other moments of heightened emotion, especially when after she, the guy in the woods comes up to her and yeah. she walks yeah. silently away for who knows how long and then yeah. but that, has a very justified breakdown in a bathroom. Um, I want to talk, this, talk about this kind of stuff a little bit later in, in the Max, but the, the scene with the kid leaving to get picked up is, is such an interesting scene. Cause he kind of, he, rec- he sees her there uh, as soon as he walks out, but it's more of like suspicion. Oh, what are you doing here? You're going to steal more stuff is the sense that we get from him. But then like when she actually starts, like you said, breaks her passivity and actually lashes out at him engaging, mm-hmm. he just totally ignores her. Yeah. But that shot is amazing because you have him on one side, her on the other side, she's got nothing and he's got this job that his mother drives him to. And he's like this this self-righteous asshole. And there's this dichotomy between her, who's trying desperately to find work, and this kid who doesn't have to do much to find work. And he's self-righteous about her just trying to feed herself. It's an interesting dichotomy between the people who have a safety net and the people who don't. There's a quote that he says... This stock boy at the store yeah. after apparently he's been watching her this whole time. And so I know we're, we're jumping around. We're not doing our normal format here about likes and dislikes. But one of my likes is Michelle Williams acting, which I mm. thought was phenomenal in this movie. And, of course, there's, there's the editing and the directing that, that's part of that and what parts you choose to use. But the stock boy has a line. He brings her back to the manager's office to get the manager to call the cops and all that. My dog is tied up in front of the store. Mr. Hunt, it was obvious what was going on here. Sir, your employee has the wrong idea. The rules apply to everyone equally. Um. If a person can't afford dog food, they shouldn't have a dog. Andy. The Mm -hmm. look that Michelle Williams gives him in that moment was probably (laughs) the best part of the movie in my opinion um it's this look of restrained disgust like yeah you would say that the irony is palpable 
she knows this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about and it's restrained though it's it's so restrained and it was yeah. it was beautiful beautiful acting and clearly he's wrong obviously the rules don't apply to everyone equally she clearly has lived that and witnessed that and knows just by this short interaction with this stock boy that he has no idea what he's talking about because of this this thing the stock boy wanted to drive home it takes so much of her money and so much of what she has because he felt it was the right thing to do or he wanted to be i don't know self-righteousness mm-hmm. yeah i mean before we move on to talking about some some technical things does anyone have any other specific uh likes and dislikes only reiterating the things we've already talked about i like i like the pacing of the movie it's very different than most movies slower but it makes you sit in certain scenes that I would say require that sort of audience contemplation. And then I always love movies that uh, reduce the dialogue and mm. put a greater focus and emphasis on the visual, especially, but also the audio or lack. It's just not as explicitly told, and it makes it a more fun movie, in my opinion. Mm. Yeah. Was the shoplifting thing just sort of like a, a device to to put her in a bad situation? She had money to pay for it, right? I mean, she's yeah. short on money, and that that's essentially what. But one of the ways to help save that money is like if I can sneak out with less than ten dollars worth of food, and it's not much for the store, unless there's a self righteous prick. I mean, it's like if it's if it's May fifth and you have twenty. Say for for Jersey City numbers, New York City numbers. You have twenty two hundred dollars in your bank account. You got to pay rent on on June. I 1st. understand. You I have two hundred dollars, but you then you have a five hundred dollar bill. Like you got, you have to hit that five hundred dollar bill first. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm just saying it's a little bit. It might be a little bit contrived. She's using payphones. I mean, it's two thousand eight at this t- at this point. That was an interesting line when the old. Uh, Security yeah, guard says. says nobody uses payphones anymore. To this, clearly, you know, I don't know how old the character is supposed to be, but she appeared to be mid twenties. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oldest. I don't know. <laughs> Her not using a cell phone isn't totally surprising to me, but I think I'm pretty ulti- sure at the time you could get cheap to free cell phones for minimal cost. Yeah, but like, I even think- if it's just a flip phone like the guard hat, you also need an address to have a bill right. to have a phone. Yeah. But I mean, there's also. Like, I, I'm just not... saying it's a little bit contrived, but that's. And well, the, I mean, you, the contrived part is that she gets caught for shoplifting, or the contrived part, which is the the whole situation. Story. Okay, so I think the shoplifting part is justified within the story of the character, right? She's strapped for cash. How much? So we don't know, but that that's somewhat believable that she feels she needs to. Sure, she's shoplifting. Shop. Her car breaks down. She doesn't have a cell phone, so she can't get contacted by the pound. There's just so many things in this situation that mm-hmm. if you think back to like 2007, like you get the phones where you can just like buy the minutes as you but go. You also but had to buy the phone. To you get had to the buy the to phone. For her, it was like it's not worth the hassle. I don't have an address. I'm moving across the country anyway. I'll just get a phone when I get to where I'm going. I don't need one right now. Um, yeah. Her trying to shoplift a granola bar, an apple, and, like, a can of dog food is not totally out of character. Oh, is that what she got caught shoplifting in the, in the movie? It is minor minor yeah. stuff, not an apple. She put the apple back. Oh, you're right. She yeah, saw dude. another store clerk, watch, or not necessarily watching her, but within her vicinity. Yeah, um, 
what I would say that came off as surprising, whether or not it was contrived or not, I don't know, but that when he grabs her as right as she's walking out the door, I was like, whoa. I kind of thought she was gonna get away with this. So, it so in the in the story, easy. she's uh, <laughs> she's grazing on all the bulk bins, on like the trail mitts and the mm-hmm. the loose things, and eating out of that. Uh, and this this kid who's is watching her, the one that grabs her, watching her do all this, and then she does all that, and then she steals three cans of dog, or she takes three cans of dog food, puts them in her backpack, and then starts to walk out the door, and he grabs her. Okay, that's. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty much what happens to the yeah. movie. Okay. All, right. Um, all right. So before we move on, does anyone have any um, specific likes, dislikes that they want to talk about? I'm still a big fan of this beer. Oh, the the boom sauce. The boom sauce. Yeah, the boom sauce is killing it right now. I'm number number two. I've got I've mm. got a good start in, in on it. Um, number two. Alcohol's hitting nice. Still got that good hobo flavor to it. Good hobo flavor. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's a. It's probably the best named beer. That we've <laughs> had on this show, Lord boom Hobo sauce. Boom sauce. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ben and Rob, how you guys feeling about your beer? Um, so the Dogfish Head 60 Minute IPA is uh, crushing it as it usually does. It's a nice drinkable IPA. Um, nothing too crazy. You got the bottle also, or the can over there? I got the uh, bottle. I feel like it's better out of the bottle, but I like cans on principle. Oh really? It's a, a very interesting principle being. I know, right? What's What's the principle? Because uh, aluminum stack, is more difficult to recycle. They better in the fridge. That's true. It is more That's difficult, to, but in terms of like transportation, it's better. Yeah, yeah. That's and fair. Beer. If I want to fill a cooler with beers, I want to. I want to fill it with cans, not yeah. bottles. Are you filling coolers with beers right now? I filled coolers with beers this morning. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> to go sit by myself and socially distancely drink beers. <laughs> Good work. Uh, but, yeah, Dogfish Head 60-minute IPA, all, always a good choice, in my opinion. Not too strong on the hops while also still giving that good hoppy flavor. So, again, this is the first time I've had this beer. Um, and the, the flavor's been pretty consistent. The Flying Dog Hidden Pickle. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really liking it. I like would it you lot. like it with ice cubes in it? No. Why would I put ice cubes in my beer? I don't know. Sometimes I feel like with a gosa, it's nice to have an ice cube in it. No. A gosa? What language does that come from? I think it's German. German. Uh, it's a German. It's a gosa. It's yeah. a gosa. Yeah. Um, anyway, but I, no, I, think, I, mean, I find that they're better colder, usually. Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I wouldn't... mean, you definitely taste more when they get warm, oh. but sometimes the, the ones that aren't that good, you get like a foggy. Oh, yeah. They start to like fall apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I definitely agree that like they're better colder, but I, I would prefer... Like a a chilled glass, and really okay. cold keg than than ice cubes. I think. Not like ice cubes in a straw. Like <laughs> no. at, the, at the soda at the diner. <laughs> a little lemon witch. <laughs> um, but I, okay, so for technicals, we kind of started to talk about it a little bit. The cinematography was very focused in what it wanted to show, and it took a lot of time to make sure you saw it. And again, that just sort of helps bring you into her world and sort of helps um, establish that empathy. But the other thing we haven't really talked about much is the sound and the, the sound mix I thought was really uh, well done. It was, it's very sparse. There's not a lot going on. There is zero non-diegetic music in this movie. None. Yeah. I couldn't define that word. Diegetic means it exists in the world of the movie. 
So an example of diegetic music in the movie oh, is it's like, like a, her like humming. You walk into a bar and there's music playing? Yeah, and then non-diegetic right. is like a score in another not, movie. Oh, so there's no music that's a score. Right, there's so no... So that's interesting, because like when you have lighting, you call it practical lighting, right? If mm-hmm. it's light that's within the movie. Why yeah. don't they just call it practical music? When you're doing the mix, they do call it practical oh. in terms of the source, but in academically it's called diegetic, because diegetic is not just a light or a song or whatever. It's larger than that. So film schools needed something to teach. (laughs) It's not just film either. It's more, it's more specific. Diegetic also applies to any kind of narrative. Um, You could talk about diegetic, non-diegetic things in um, uh, literature as well. Okay. The only music in the movie was her humming, which also Bowser pointed out plays in the store but all of that is punctuated where you would have a song, whether it's score or an existing song. There were also times when it's, it's not much of anything. Um, yeah. The wind blowing or, or nothing. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. almost nothing. Which is, when you're watching a movie, just as unsettling yeah. as um, a scary score. But like, yeah, at the beginning when she's playing with her dog in any quote-unquote normal movie... You'd, of course, have some sort of happy theme going, like, yeah, oh, absolutely. she's happy with her dog. It sort of helps to ground the movie a little bit and, and bring it into that neorealism, naturalist kind of feel, and, and where all that exists is what you see on the screen. And now the lighting on this movie, mm. I had, a, had some trouble, and maybe it was just me, but I don't know, I had some trouble seeing some of the yeah. stuff going you, on when it was dark. <laughs> Maybe wearing sunglasses. Yeah. yeah so no, I mean, connected to that, there there were times when I couldn't hear things in dialogue. Well, all right. I'm talking specifically about the scene when she's sleeping in the woods mm-hmm. and the creepy dude yeah, comes yeah. up to her. You can barely see. I can see any of that. You can barely <laughs> see her and you barely hear anything. And I was watching it off YouTube and I turned on the captions because i was like i feel like i'm missing something and something's wrong with my speakers or something like that and if you read what he's saying it's crazy um (laughs) because he talks about strangling 700 people with his bare hands they treat me like trash like i ain't got no rights i mean they can they can they can they can smell the weakness on you but if you if you just watch that without the captions there's no way you can pick up on that it's while the trains are going by it's clearly not important to no i mean story or anything like that he's just like he's he's just crazy and right there in one of her most vulnerable moments and that's what it's supposed to mean but anyway i i think that might have been on purpose that that yeah. again, that uneasiness of not being able to see everything, not being able to hear any everything. Yeah, because like you have to imagine that she's probably not hearing all of it either. She's just hearing little snippets herself, and she is like, "What the fuck is going on?" That um, part was terrifying. Yeah, it was really scary. One of her most vulnerable moments, and it's like she finally is like, "You know what? I'm gonna just walk away from everybody for a little bit. I feel like I'm not really getting a lot of help, and everyone sucks." Someone stole my fucking dog. So I'm just going to go out in the middle of nowhere and just be with myself for a little bit. I don't even have my car because it's in the garage. 
Mm-hmm. And then there's this like guy comes out of nowhere. He kind of felt like a representation of of the environment of the world. Like this world is just not going to leave her alone mm-hmm. unless she keeps moving and makes her decisions and gets herself going. She can't sit still or her mentality will get to what that guy's was, which was clearly like, I don't know. He, what does he, what, what does he say that you can actually hear? I, I don't have any rights. You know, clearly he thinks he's been brought down by the system mm-hmm. and he's in the woods too. Just yeah. dirty and fucked. Yeah. He's fucked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's what he says. Yeah, no, it, it, <laughs> that's still, literally yeah, what he yeah. says. I don't change my my. Ugh. This is how the whole movie, the whole story, made me feel the whole time. Yeah, that that part was was just kind of like ugh. viscerally very scary ugh. because the guy is obviously crazy, and my you don't know what called him a nut job. What he's gonna <laughs> do in that moment? She is completely helpless. It was scary. Yeah. To sort of circle back to what we were, we were initially talking about, the budget on this was super small. So they didn't have a ton of lights, and they shot on 16mm film, which is smaller than 35. So last time, you know, we were talking about the large format of North by Northwest and how that helps the larger film plane captures more detail and you can see more. Um, 16 is the opposite. The smaller it is, the less you can see, especially in the dark. Because you need the the silver to to grab all that light, and there's less of it in a 16. So that definitely contributed to the look, but it at the same time it makes it feel a little grimier, a little grittier, you know. And I think it kind of works with the story that they're trying to tell. And and she's probably only grabbing little snippets of what that guy's saying too. Having less information to see sort of raises that tension a little bit. Um, and works uh, in that scene's favor, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very, very grainy mm-hmm. movie. You know, I wrote down a couple quotes. Quotes? I don't know if it makes sense to just sort like, of read those like off and, and perhaps discuss them as far as thematics go. Go ahead. Read, read, the, read your last one first. The last one Read the first, first one last. Yeah. The f- first one last and the last one first. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, I wrote down um, the line that uh, Michelle Williams, Wendy, says when she sees Lucy and is talking and, and sort of playing with Lucy at the while Lucy's at the foster home. Uh, again, a testament to Michelle Williams acting in this when she says that man seems so nice after she's already been talking to her dog for a little bit. Did you miss me? Did you miss me? And kind of playing with Lucy, the way she delivered that line, her voice cracked. There was no sound in the background during that part of the scene and during most of that scene, actually. And that uh, was very moving. That's a very emotional part. That's when you are solidified in knowing that she has decided to leave her dog behind after all of this effort and all of this quote-unquote sacrifice that she's gone through to find her dog again. She finally finds the dog and is like, no, 
this this is a better home for you. Um, you use the word sacrifice. Is it a sacrifice if it's not a choice? Well, is, I what do you mean by choice. that? What do you she mean? didn't really have a lot of choices. She could have taken the dog. You always have a choice. Stolen the dog? Yeah, how it was presented to us. The implication of the movie was that she could have taken the dog if she wanted. She could have gotten the dog because it was her dog and everyone knew it was. Oh, no, absolutely. And she didn't because she realized that that was better for her dog. There's an underlying theme of poverty, but in the sense of separated privilege, living right in this, like, hidden world hidden world isn't really the the right term it's 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 living right in this world of of these people that are like right at the poverty line in sort of these uh not quite rural not quite suburban areas the security guard says you know there was a a mill or a plant or something in the town that yes. had closed and he's yeah, like right, i don't know what these people so. do all day but like wendy comes into that and she's kind of living in that too a little bit but she's on she's moving right she's she still believes that she can at least do something but she's still sort of stuck in that world where she's hitting a ceiling all the time with the stock boy andy he's got he's on the other side of the ceiling so he feels like he can he can say like no you can't take five dollars worth of food i'm gonna press charges even though he's getting a ride from his mom yeah because that's not something no no financially or yeah mm-hmm. right that's not something he ever has to think about um right. I, the one thing i thought that was really interesting too is that this movie came out i think like three months after the the whole 2008 whatever you know the recession started <laughs> yeah something happened in 2008 yeah. um <laughs> i was saying crash it's not really it wasn't really a crash i guess i believe yeah. they refer to it as a bubble bursting two or three months after that all happened this movie mm-hmm. came out and it seems so relevant to that but of course this was made before that was even a thing it just See, happened i didn't even at the right time right i didn't know that actually i wa- i watched the movie a little bit unaware of when the movie was made and um when that was brought to my attention that it was during that time that definitely added a level they actually wrote the story the initial short story that the the, the script was was based on in the wake of katrina and how the attitude with a, like a lot of the people that were in the the poor districts or uh, wards, I guess, in um, New Orleans, were kind of left. You know, the storm came and devastated the whole city, and then for them, they were like, "Oh, well, it's your fault. You're in this situation, so just fucking deal with it." And that hmm. kind of attitude is what drove them to write this story initially. Is is um, what the director said, which I guess it makes sense. Where that you can sort of reapply that to one to 2008 when the movie came out but also again to now with the the effect of the quarantine and you know some people are able to do better than others with stuff shutting down or you know have the ability to work from home and all that stuff um and and i guess ultimately what my point is that this sense and this attitude is still around and it's still applicable today Oh, it definitely sure. wouldn't be that much different. Yeah. Do you think there is um, any sort of levity from that anxiety when you look at the story as a whole? Do you think there is hope for this character? Yeah, I think so. It's it's not a lot, but I think there is. I think because there's a lot of, like Ben said, the sacrifices you might have to make 
it's not going to be easy, but you can maybe get yourself into a position where you're not kind of staying stuck where you are. It's definitely not going to be easy. See, I feel like that's, that's not the point of it. I feel like the point of it is just to say, like, this is terrible. And this is going to continue to be terrible. Interesting. Mm. Now, what like, what like, makes like what she's makes like, you think that she has every no, step of the way? No there's another. She, there's another problem, and another yes. problem, and like maybe mm-hmm. she gets beat up on the train, or like the train break. Not that the trains break down, but whatever. But these like, are all there, there's a reason that anything could go. Like, oh, the ferry sank, or like she's got to swim to shore. I feel like no matter what the way the story's set up, there's always going to be another thing in the way because she's not a real person. Because it's what? a story. I, I was okay. Well, so okay. until you got to that part where you said she's not a real person, I can understand that logic of saying that there will always be a challenge that these people in these situations need to overcome. But why you think that they won't continue to overcome them? There's not a point to this story. There is you, a point to this story. Unless, you don't, you, unless she overcomes something at the end, but it feels like that's never going to happen. But she kept and going. I don't think it's going to happen. Right, so I see, I'm arguing against the making of this movie. See, I, I understand that. I, I disagree with the idea that the story is not interesting unless he, she overcomes some final obstacle. Did she not overcome several things throughout the story? I mean, that, she that, overcame uh, them at great sacrifice every time. Yeah. So now you're talking about the plot of most stories, like all of yeah, the but, stories ever. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't like it, but I think <laughs> I think bring bringing up the, why bother making this movie? Yeah, because it's about a real person that might exist in the real world, and we should have empathy for that person. And otherwise, these stories about these people don't get told. No one Let, that's going few, to actually be able to empathize it. with this person has seen this movie. I would disagree with that because I don't think they need to go through the extremes that Wendy went through to feel the same feelings of desperation and anxiety that she felt, or to feel that those same connections, a small connection, or whether, I don't know what size the connection was, between her and the Walgreens security guard, or yeah. her completely business, like straight down to brass tax relationship she has with the mechanic, the dad from Remember the Titans, which is... <laughs> still relatively positive <laughs> compared to her other interactions, but is pretty um, devoid of emotion or her interaction with her own family members. I mean, mm-hmm. she calls her family who has no empathy toward her. So I think those yeah. are incredibly she calls relatable. Her family? Yeah. She calls her sister. And this, uh, this is actually one of my favorite parts because it sort of underscores kind of what I'm trying to get at. So she calls, she lost her dog her car's busted. She's got no money. She just wants to talk to somebody. And yep. like her sister is obviously someone who's, she's her sister. She's super close. She just wants to talk. Right. And they immediately we- shut her down. Who's that? It's your sister. She broke down in Oregon. Hi, Dad. Oregon? What does she want us to do about it? No, nothing, nothing. I'm, I'm just calling. She's just calling. Well, we can't do anything. We're strapped. I don't know what you want. I don't want anything. I'm just calling. I, you know, I can't talk with everyone on the phone. I'll um, talk to you when you're done with Dan. Bye, honey. Which says something definitely about their relationship with each other. 
or what the sister is currently going through in the grander sense of whatever is going on during this time. So she's also feeling not necessarily the same type of desperation, but, but clearly she's dealing with some other, exactly, some other strain that she doesn't have time to deal with this. We, I mean, we don't know if they have kids, but maybe they have, they have kids or they want to have kids. You know, there's a million different things people yep. can have issues with. Um, and so you, mm. you, that, that anxiety is maintained in that, even that, I, I, it's what, a minute phone call that they have. These are just people living and these people exist. And I think that's what the movie and the story is, is why it exists, what it's for. Yeah, I guess it's exemplified by what the security guard says. (laughs) You need a job to have a job, or you need an address to have a job, and you need a job to have an address, or something like that. You You need a job that you need a job to get a job. Sounds like if you don't have a job, that's a level of helplessness that yeah you can't come out of. That's a bottomless pit of I I don't have a job, so I can never get a cycle. Yeah, it's a cycle. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. exactly. So poverty is a cycle. That that is difficult or impossible or at least perceptively impossible without a safety net she used her sister's address at one point right oh at the pound right she was forced to yeah yeah which was where indiana or something like that yeah muncie Uh, indiana indiana muncie anyone ever been to muncie no it's referenced in a lot of movies it really is and by a lot of movies i mean this movie in kingpin (laughs) oh wait is it not in music man I think oh, no, it is. Yeah, it's that's also Gar- that's Gary, Indiana. But I think they oh. they mentioned Gary, Muncie in Indiana. Yeah, but Muncie is like, uh, oh shit! What's the also in Parts and Rec? Gary from Parts and Rec has a <laughs> vacation home in Muncie. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the legacy that this movie has is in its style, in the realist, um, naturalist style. Um, I think it was A.O. Scott maybe uh wrote an essay aoc <laughs> aoc yeah no ao scott wrote um an essay or an article in the times a year or two after the movie came out how it is starting this new movement of neo neo realism and in independent film and there was some of that but i think ultimately a lot of the big indie films veered towards um more superhero movies m- no more artifice <laughs> Um, (laughs) (laughs) and more heightened uh, worlds but there was for a little while some waves from this movie and I think it's starting to swing back a little bit as the economy takes a dump yeah I mean a real wet wick liquidy dump less superhero movies more more realism Um, fewer well, no, I, I mean, I'm talking about independent film Both. specifically, American <laughs> independent film specifically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After this movie, you saw a lot of European independent film that had this this neo-realist feel, which makes sense because it's very yeah. Um, yeah. Bresson and, and, and Italian neo-realistic. Uh, realistic, so so th- th- this was brought up before, right? This neo-realism, and especially with regards to how the characters themselves, not, not necessarily how the film was shot, but how the characters played themselves and how interpreted whatever script was used. Um, you, you mentioned that not all of these people were actors. Honestly, I did not know this, and I couldn't tell you which ones were actors. Um, who, do, who were the other 
non-actors how about the uh the people at the um recycling the the can deposit oh really they were non-actors the crust punks around the fire they're all non-actors except for the um the guy that she actually talks to um is will oldham who also wrote the uh the melody that she hums um in the movie oh wow yeah he was uh that was a very interesting character which I couldn't tell if it felt real or he was on drugs. Is honestly <laughs> what I was thinking during that scene. Yeah, he's not some guy off the street, but he's not a an actor, technically. Still a performer. Yeah, yeah. So we finally had to jump off, and the thing just rolled all the way across the construction site. We couldn't stop the thing. We tried everything. It snapped the retaining wires. Push! Huge spray of sparks. The cat went over the hill. Head over heels, ass over tit, right into the water. It's probably a $100,000 piece of equipment gone in four fucking seconds. But they couldn't pin it on me, man. I was gone. So there's, there's you know, quite a few non-actors, and that helps ground it. And you sort of can tell that, you know, their delivery's a little off, but that makes you think that they're real people. We talked about this with Glengarry, where, like, the dialogue, we said, was, was a little heightened, but that helps make it feel a little bit more real in one way or not real necessarily, but a little truer, right? Someone I think in the New Yorker wrote about how this movie doesn't work because it's too real and therefore it can't say anything true. But I disagree. I think you can have something that's totally out there in terms of realism. Like you want to go to one end of the spectrum, like eight and a half. And then um, bicycle thieves to pick two Italian movies, they're both just as true, Mm -hmm. even though one's totally in a character's head and then one is is hyper-real on the street um, Mm -hmm. with a bunch of non-actors. Whichever structure you pick, as long as you're creating and writing and telling from a true place, the truth will come out. So I, I think that argument of that it needs to be dramatize or it needs to be totally real i think it doesn't have to be one or the other yeah but is it interesting if it's not like they're both equally interesting i disagree well let me ask you this i don't i I like real life fine but like it's not you know it's not interesting because of the way it's done it can be but well no i'm not saying it's not i'm not saying the way that it's done is what makes it interesting I'm saying the stories are just as true and therefore interesting. I'm saying the style doesn't matter specifically. I'm Is like this going back in. to that to our podcast on the uh, on American movie? Yeah, and I remember Ben's really not liking that at all. I mean, finding it depressing and sad and at well, all. I mean, let, 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 that was a, that was a documentary. Perhaps I'm just saying, like, a, like it doesn't perspective. The, the, the process that. doesn't make it interesting. Like, I, like I actually went back. We were talking about the guy that made the movie for. Oscilloscope Laboratories later, where he made his own camera. And, like, that's really cool. And that's really interesting that he did that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make me want to watch the movie. Sure. That I mean, doesn't no. make him good at his job because he built a, a worse camera than a real camera company. Right, but that uh, that that story, as as it was told... That story that brief... about him doing that is fundamentally interesting. Well, it's fundamentally interesting. So no, it what doesn't... makes what makes this interesting is the relatability of anxiety and um, loss, and to reach out to others or needing 
to reach out to others and either finding some sort of lifeline from that or finding nothing um, or finding something and it feeling like, again, I said it before um, that when the, the security guard who starts off as someone who feels like every other external force in Wendy's life that's kind of, you know, you're not going to make it, you're not good enough, get get out of this parking lot, you can't be here. But by the, the end of the movie, and even it doesn't even take the full movie, he's a good person, he gets what she's going through, he's clearly been in some sort of similar situation, and then he offers her some some money, and you're like, okay, that's really nice. You're confirmed that he's a nice guy. And then you see how much he gives her, and he only gives her seven bucks. And it shows oh, that he see, knows... It's totally different in the book. That he knows because he's been there, and he's still dollars. there. <laughs> yeah, that's vastly different. But the point being that um, not only is he super familiar with what she's going through, that low level of put it basically economic standing but he also maintains a level of kindness and mm-hmm. open-heartedness and this want to help mm. you know you can you can tell that he would give more if he had more and that's all he's able to give um mm-hmm. that is far more interesting in my mind than yes the the mechanical or clinical way someone made a lens in their backyard now there's other things around that that are super interesting but it's the human aspect of this story and that's just one example I mean, every every scene she goes through has something like that something slightly relatable or something that digs deeper into that emotional aspect of her overall journey which could be perhaps uh, contrived at points as we've brought up before to to really stoke that fire here and there but i think that's what makes it interesting is that it um it's able to evoke those emotions and very and in all, a very real sense like that's that's fine and that's good and that's good that they can use their tools that way but yes. like it doesn't make it good that they did that <laughs> I don't. That's such a weird sort of argument. I don't know. Like, we're not saying that the movie is good because it uses these tools in a certain way. We're saying the movie is good because it tells a good story at the core of it, and these tools help amplify that story. But I don't think it's a good story. Or they are interesting tools, but the story is not that good to begin with. So okay, so yeah, you can. The story is kind of generic. To the lens story that that you first that you had brought up before, right? You you find the tool itself interesting, and the fact yeah, that it wasn't absolutely. there before, that it wasn't there before, and now that that it's there, and someone did that, that's interesting that it happened. How they came to that, you really have no interest. No. In okay, so so this story is not telling either of those things. The story is not about her identifying some emotion or coming up with a new emotion or a new way to deal with a common emotion. It's merely telling the story of a common experience that would be relatable to an audience. It's not, it's not groundbreaking in the emotion, and, and which I guess we're relating to the 
tool aspect. I don't know. It's getting a little convoluted. And it's but, real convoluted because I haven't seen the movie. Yes. Um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the the point being, it sounds like you would prefer to to have a story that doesn't actually have anything groundbreaking or really say anything. You'd rather something that is more so the witnessing of the tool. Uh, I'm typically more interested in the process than the end result. Like I find that Fitzgerald then, then fundamentally why would you interesting. Not, but see, this movie is all about the process because there is no end thing. She keeps going on. She's still desperate. There's No, no the process is boring. They made on three hundred thousand dollars. You just said you're more interested TV. in the process. The so. process can be interesting. Okay. It is not here. It's not even interesting. Like you get to the do re mi fa sol la ti, and then it doesn't resolve. It it just doesn't even get beyond fucking Ray. So was it a bad idea for you to read this book? <laughs> I mean, I felt like I should do something, and they usually don't do anything. So <laughs> I'm good at finding my problems with things. Okay, final thoughts on the movie. Let's go. Rob? I think this movie has its place in independent film in terms of what it did for style and the storytelling technique as well as as the subject matter. Um, You know, it kind of talked about a little slice of America that doesn't really get talked about a lot and its weight and its place in independent cinema is only going to grow. Um, over time, um, I think people are going to look to it more and more in the future. Mm-hmm. So, yep. one of the things that I, I said, like when we first started talking about it, was that it felt longer than it was, and I kind of still think that it, it is a little bit slow. It's not like a necessarily enjoyable movie to watch. Uh, you don't really ever find out anything about this person's history or what happens to her, so it does leave you a little bit unfulfilled but it does make you empathize with her and feel the emotions that she's feeling so in that way it succeeds that's one thing that i did like how it did that through sound and through the things that we discussed but it also left you with this a little bit like okay you know what did i just watch sort of sort of feeling as well so that so, in mm-hmm. other words, I, I wouldn't watch it again, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not going to put this on, you know, to enjoy, like, a time that I want to be, you know, enjoying a movie necessarily. But that's mm-hmm. how it made me feel. So, that's what I thought. Yeah. Um, so, it actually made me feel very similar to that. Um, slow, but uh, compelling or empathetic. Uh, conversely, I liked that it didn't have a resolution. I, I watch a lot of fucking movies, like a lot of movies. And there's, you start to see these similar patterns in movies of the, you know, the good guy gets the girl and all those simple things, but also like the way movies repeat themselves. And it becomes more interesting that the ending is so open. Um, well, I've already talked about a lot of the things I really, really liked Michelle Williams acting in this. Maybe some of the best uh, because perhaps she was forced to do so much without dialogue, which again, um, I want to bring it back to the fact that to do that as an actor, to bring an emotion to something without being told specifically in the text 
what your character is feeling to be able to convey that and and get the audience to empathize with you is incredible and i thought all of the characters did that in different ways and so to hear and learn that some of those people were not trained actors or they were just real people shows how the directing in it really lended itself to conveying those emotions and um, allowing the audience to to sort of um, engage that empathy and and the technicals of it i lo- i really like when movies engage those long shots that really make you sit in a moment and so while i may or may not watch this movie again i think that's a really interesting sort of way to put it um i thoroughly enjoyed it and it was a very different sort of film and i I appreciate it for that respect um but the all day um this is not all day just kidding dogfish (laughs) 60 minute ipa um the the one hour ipa the one hour ipa not all day all hour this all hour ipa is um all your probably one of my favorite ipas actually i i really like the dogfish head 60 minutes it's easy i i'm not not one to to find drinkable the really uh flavorful ipas so this is uh right within my wheelhouse nice rob where'd you fall on your uh your beer over there i would definitely get it again um i guess it's sort of a, a limited or release i don't know if it's seasonal or whatever but i don't know where i'll be able to find it again but i'm, I'm glad I, I i got it it's the dog or um, the flying dog um hidden pickle uh, which was yeah. a ghost, and it's it's a good like. I know a lot of people don't like ghosts or ghost gosa, um, <laughs> but I think it's like Porsche in Porsche. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot it's of bad way ones. more affordable. There's a lot of bad ones out there, but this this is oh, a good yeah. one. Nice and mild. Was it pickle flavored or cucumber flavored or something? It was yeah, it was pickle flavored, but it was it was a uh, again mild. The pickle Hidden. flavor was mild, so it wasn't gross. Nice. I feel like a super pickly beer is. It's, uh, gross. I think the term is gross. Uh, <laughs> but Grossa. so you Grossa. were able to find the pickle. Yeah, sure. So <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't hidden. But Actually, I guess not, not hidden very well. I guess when when they released <laughs> when they released the beer at their at their tap room, they had like a release party or whatever, mm-hmm. and they hid ten pickles in the tap room. And you have to, uh, if you found a pickle, you got like a free drink or something. That's good. Nice. It's better than them hiding it in the bottles of beer. Yeah. That would also that be was... pretty hard to, to hide in the glass because their glasses are clear. Yeah. <laughs> Most are? Uh, Bowser, how was the, uh, the bottoms of your beer? Uh, it was good. They reminded me of like an English bitter in a way, like an English bitter ale, like a very. Mm subdued on the hops more on the malty mm-hmm. it's, it, it's called a brown i mean they call it a brown ale in the bottle so you get the sort of idea behind it but um very nice yeah it was a solid beer i drank uh, another couple of them the end of my boom sauce was pretty good it's not my favorite ipa but it's definitely a solid like 75 80 percenter it's mm-hmm. up there it was good did you like uh, the process of drinking it <laughs> <laughs> i did because i put it in this cup to make to force it to be interesting. Oh, I put it in a nice. So wine it was glass. an interesting process to pour. More interesting than drinking it. <laughs> uh, yes, absolutely. Not even sure how much of that. 
prior conversation didn't even be edited together into something, <laughs> something that anyone can understand. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up this episode. Next time, we're, we're going to do um, Arrival. Oh, is that the movie with uh, the satellite dishes and Jodie Foster and the guy that makes the Devil's Tower out of mashed potatoes? <laughs> it's a Devil's that's, Triangle. Uh, that's, that's Contact <laughs> and Close Encounters. <laughs> <laughs> you just described, <laughs> which is neither beep, movie beep, is this movie. <laughs> um, there's actually some similarities to Contact, but um, no, this is, a, this is Arrival, uh, which came out in 2016, directed by Denis Vill, uh, Vill, Villeneuve. 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 Dennis Villanova. <laughs> Del- um, Dennis Villanova. <laughs> Dennis Villanova. Uh, with Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. I love this movie. So I'm really excited. And Forrest Whitaker's it. in it. Forrest Whitaker is in it. Oh, is, is it Panic Room? <laughs> it's Panic Room. <laughs> you know, Panic Room? Jo- yeah, Jody, I mean, Jody, Jody Foster. Foster was supposed to be in this movie. <laughs> they made it too late. The ages didn't work out. Um, nice. In the meantime, uh, since this movie that we just talked about, Winnie and Lucy, is about a woman and her dog, we'd like to hear what uh, our listeners' favorite movie dogs are. Dogs from other movies that they like. So tweet at us, at, at the Broobies, <laughs> or email us. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> or email should have thought about it. At the, <laughs> if I just did the Broobies, at sign the Broobies, it wouldn't be searchable on Twitter. Yeah, but I have to put the name at the Broobies. No one can tell you now. At, at the mm. You had to say at, at the Broobies. Yeah, but all right. Now it's no, a good movie talk dog. About our, then, favorite, uh, our favorite all movie All 11 dog. Air Buddies. <laughs> Barkin Scorsese. <laughs> Bark Obama. <laughs> uh, I'm a big fan of Beethoven myself. Mm. Oh, yeah. You know, I never saw anything past the second one, but I've definitely they made a lot of those movies. Beethoven's third, but I have no memory of it, for sure. Um, I, I think you should keep going back to Scooby-Doo, but it's not a movie. That is a movie. Yeah, it is. Sure it is. <laughs> Which one? The one with Mich- Sarah Michelle no, Gellar. The new one. Yeah, but that's not the yeah. one that I liked. I like the cartoon. <laughs> Still a movie. Uh, send us your favorite movie dogs, please. Yes. I so, yeah, to our Twitter. I like the dogs in Isle of Dogs. We also have an email you can send your favorite movie dogs to. At the Broovies at, at gmail.com. It's a shame um, we didn't get at the Broovies.com, so it's not at the Broovies at at the Broovies.com. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks for listening. (laughs) Till next time.